The following message is made available for you by Emmanuel Baptist Church in Mora, Minnesota. For more information, visit us online at www.emmanuelmora.com. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 6, this is what the Holy Spirit writes under the, uh, uh, well, under the pen of, of Paul. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, nourished by the words of the faith and the good teaching that you have followed. But have nothing to do with pointless and silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness. For the training of the body has limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. For this reason, we labor and strive because we have put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. For the past number of weeks, Julie and I have been making a more concerted effort to uh, get in shape. She does a much better job uh, than I do of of getting up early and and starting that routine uh, in the morning well before the, the kids get up and and one thing that I've learned uh, about working out is the importance of not only having a goal, but also having a plan to achieve that goal. Because you don't have a goal, you don't have a plan, then what's the use of, of getting up, essentially? Um, if you don't have either of those, it's going to be much more difficult for you to get out of bed at 5 in the morning when the alarm goes off and it's cold outside and it's warm under the covers. Uh, when I think about my own training goals, I find myself looking at other people and wondering uh, how I can get to that kind of level. I mean, take a look at this guy right here. I mean, some of y'all know him. This is the ultimate warrior. I mean, this guy, he tore up the ring in the late 80s and early 90s. And if any of you watch pro wrestling, this guy was an animal. And I look at this guy and I think, okay, I have to think that there's more than just working out and dieting that's going on in this kind of guy. There, there might be some chemicals that are helping him to get to where he's at and maybe some gorilla hormones or something that's, that's going on with him. You know, I, would, I don't want his regimen. I want more like a guy like, like, like this. And many of you remember this guy. This is Hacksaw Jim Duggan right? I mean, he's the all-American guy. He eats what he wants, when he wants, and he gets his workout by swinging his trusty two-by-four whenever he's angry about something. That's the kind of guy that I would, uh, that I would like to, uh, to be more like. You know, in order to be a serious athlete, you have to be dedicated to a crazy workout routine. This, art, uh, this week, I came across an article by Aaron Story, who is a former uh, Olympic triathlete. And in the article, she laid out what a day of training looks like for her. She had two different kinds. The first, she wrote about what an easy day of training looks like. And it starts out at 8 in the morning with a six-mile run. Folks, that doesn't sound like an easy day to me already at 8 a.m., and then, you know, at 10 a.m., she'll swim for 4,200 meters. Now, I don't like the metric system, but that's an hour's worth of swimming. I don't even know what all those numbers mean, but they look kind of scary. It's probably different ways of stopping and doing all those. Maybe we can ask Jara about that later. Yeah, okay. And then she'll eat lunch, maybe rest, and then at 3 p.m., she's going to do a two-hour easy spin through Colorado. And this is in eastern Colorado. I mean, like, this is like in 
you know, the hills and mountains out there. That's her easy day. And this is what a, a hard day looks like for her. It begins actually at 5.30, and it's 5,200 meters of swimming with all those different sets. And then at 9 a.m., she'll run on a track. She'll start and warm up with a two-and-a-half-mile run. Then she'll do, uh, uh, she'll do four eight-by-hundred, uh, uh, four-by-eight-hundred runs with two minutes of recovery in between. And then she'll run two, two-and-a-half miles as a, you know, a casual cool down. And then at 3 p.m., she'll go and do intervals of 90 minutes total on her, on her bike, which is just, I mean, this is absolutely uh, insane. And clearly, if you want to get into top physical condition, you're not going to do it by sitting on the couch and eating little Debbie cupcakes and hostess ding-dongs. It's about getting up and getting to work. And uh, it doesn't matter whether it's training for an Olympics or if it's just wanting to lose a couple pounds or to keep them off. It takes a mindset. It takes dedication, and it takes discipline. In our passage today, Paul is a spiritual Olympian, and he gets really practical with Timothy, and by extension, he gets practical with, with us about the importance of spiritual training. The church at Ephesus was a complete mess. False teaching was rampant. They didn't understand or even like the idea of biblical authority within the church. Uh, they had an unhealthy understanding of gender roles within the church. And the ones who were faithful were what we would maybe call spiritually flabby. Uh, in these five verses, Paul helpfully teaches us that the only thing that's going to fix the church is God's grace for the people of the church and for the people to get in spiritual shape. They need to take in the nourishment of, uh, of truth about God, and they need to start pumping up the theological weights. So that's what we're going to look, uh, look at today. We are signing up for a spiritual CrossFit class, and we're going to uh, find out what it takes to get spiritually in shape and then commit to it. So let's hit the gym. The first thing that we need to do is we need to be nourished by the truth. We need to be nourished by the truth. Uh, weight loss and fitness fads come and go. It seems like every couple of years, there's this new trend uh, or research that comes out and says, yeah, whatever you've been doing in the past, that doesn't work anymore. In fact, it's maybe even dangerous for you to do. Instead, buy this new product, and we're going to get you in shape. I remember in the 80s, it was all about aerobics classes and slim fast shakes. Remember those slim fast chocolate shakes? And uh, think, uh, think uh, Richard Simmons sweating to the oldies. Now, there was a guy there. Uh, in the 90s, it was Tybo and uh, Thighmaster and maybe Buns of Steel or maybe Nordic Track to, uh, uh, to work out and Jenny Craig and Weight Watchers for diet plans. And since then, we've had the yoga revolution. We've had Peloton. We've had Beachbody. We've had the Atkins diet. We've had the South Beach diet. And then you, there's really no end to any of this. But in light of all these fads, there are two things that, that seem to e, uh, emerge. The first is that of diet. And if we want to be healthy or lose weight or, or whatever it is, the experts are fairly unanimous. It has to start with a proper nutrition. And the same could be said for our spiritual lives. Uh, if we consume shallow or deceptive theology, it results in unhealthy Christianity. However, if we are feasting on, on rich biblical doctrine, it, pre, it, it prevents us 
from all sorts of spiritual dysfunction. Look what Paul writes here in verse 6. If you, Timothy, point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, nourished by the words of the faith and the good teaching that you have followed. So it's, it's fairly well known that uh, when runners are preparing for a race, they will often load themselves up with carbs uh, in the days ahead of the event. In fact, uh, experts advise uh, starting serious carb loading anywhere from three to seven days uh, before the race. And they even say at this point, 85 to 95% of calories should come from carbohydrates. I can't even imagine what that would be like. And they do this because eating some sort of carbohydrate uh, on a, uh, before a run helps runners spare the glycogen stores. Uh, they keep blood glucose from dropping and can help replenish some of these glycogen stores, therefore helping them prepare better when they're actually training and running at races. In other words, their nutrition helps them to perform. And this principle is highlighted spiritually in verse 6. Timothy had a big job in front of him. He's nursing a really unhealthy church back to health. The church at Ephesus was perhaps the largest church at this time. Uh, with the network of houses, there was, it, it was just very large, and a lot of things weren't going well. And so uh, Timothy's work was cut out for him. And now in verse 6, Paul instructs Timothy to, to get to work on everything that he has written up to this point. And if he does, Paul says in verse 6, he will be a good servant of uh, Christ Jesus. So that's the race that Timothy now has before him. It's more than a race, by the way. It's more of, of a marathon. And Timothy better pace himself here. And Paul then helps him to find the carbs that he needs in order to get through. Again, look at verse 6. It says, You will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, nourished by the words of the faith and of the teaching that you have followed. So, what are the two things that Timothy needs in order to be nourished for the race? Well, the first is the true gospel, and the second is true doctrine. If he thinks that he is going to get to the finish line solely by his wit, solely by his own intellect, or by his own willpower, or his personality, or his experience, he is going to collapse on the course. Maybe even at mile three. It's only when Timothy is fully anchored in the good news that Jesus Christ lived, died, resurrected, and ascended into heaven because of his love for Timothy personally, that he'll be able to go on. He might need to slow down. He might need to maybe walk at some point. But the gospel is powerful enough to not only bring him to the starting line, but also to perse persevere him through to the finish. Further, he needs to be grounded in orthodox doctrine. Remember, we talked a few weeks ago about the idea that orthodox literally means uh, like straight belief or right belief. And um, here, uh, it is to believe the right things about God and being exposed to and immersing himself in biblically rich, Christ-centered teaching, Paul says, is a staple in the Christian's diet. And the same is true for, for you and for me. 
when we come to receive the Lord Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we believe the gospel, you and I, we're signing up for a race. We get the bib that we pin onto our shirt. And the Christian life is not easy. This is one of the many reasons why the church is so important. The church is, is where you get the spiritual carbs, and it's also where you get the running shoes. It's where you get trained to go out and run the race. It is the church that is running with you. It is the church that's on the sideline encouraging you when you're on mile 8, when you're on mile 15, when you're on mile 20, and you just want to give up. And they are right there at the finish line on mile 26, cheering you on to finish this race well. You've got to plow through this. Come on, just sprint through the finish line. You are almost there. And they, we need each other to be nourished by the words of the truth and of and receiving the good teaching and, and following them. So if we want to be a healthy church, if we want to be spiritually healthy, Paul is very clear. It's got to start with our diet. It starts with what we take in. So where are you getting your spiritual nourishment from? And how can you instead feast from the plate of carbs that is in front of you? And second, we need to train ourselves for godliness. So not only eat, we need to train. What you put in your diet is important, but equally important is physical activity. Uh, perhaps there have been no better proponents of physical activity than, than these two guys up here. Many of you remember uh, these guys. Tammy, do I got that picture on there? Where are they? There they are. You guys remember this? This is Hans and Franz. For those of you that are under 30, this is Hans and Franz. They were uh, uh, a recurring sketch on Saturday Night Live. They were played by Kevin Nealon and Kevin, uh, uh, Kevin Nealon and Dana Carvey. And they had one objective for their fitness show. It was to what? Pump you up, right? Yeah. They're going to pump you up. They're going to get you nice and strong. And uh, they tried to motivate their, their audience by calling them flabby, pathetic losers, and girly men, uh, you know, and it was humorous hit piece on a culture that was becoming more and more obsessed with bodybuilding in the 80s and, and Arnold Schwarzenegger and his popularity. And in verses 7 and 8 now, Paul makes the pitch for spiritual fitness and training. He essentially is writing to Timothy by saying, Timothy, I'm here to pump you up. And so he's writing all these things to Timothy to do that. And in order for Timothy and his audience and us to get spiritually fit, there are some exercises that first need to be avoided. He says here in verse 7, have nothing to do with pointless and silly myths. He's more than likely referring back to what he warned Timothy about all the way back in chapter 1 uh, in verses 3 through 4. He says this, he says, um, I urged you when you went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus. You may instruct certain people not to teach false doctrine or pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. They promote endless speculations rather than uh, God's plan, which operates by faith. So these false teachers were, were teaching doctrine that were based on myths about Old Testament figures that they found in genealogies. They'd find one name in there and they'd, they'd have a story that goes with them. And these stories had no basis in truth. 
They just seemed like they were made up. They were the first century, first century equivalent of fake news. Now, I don't know if there's mystical beliefs out there that focus on Old Testament genealogies right now, but we certainly live in an age in which false and fake news permeates everything. It's very tempting for us Christians to engage in the vast plethora of conspiracy theories that we are presented with all the time. It's really easy to get hit in the feels when some news article comes out or some Facebook post uh, goes viral, and then we want to become a warrior for that particular cause. And more often than not, friends, we don't have all the information. We don't have all the data. And yet we become a crusader and we think we become experts. It is much easier to avoid pointless and silly myths when we choose to be slow to speak and quick to listen as James instructs us. If we're going to be spiritually ripped, we need to avoid some things, but also notice we need to do some things too. Again, uh, look at, with me in verse 7. Rather, train yourself in godliness. So the word that Paul uses for train here is the word that, the Greek word that we get gymnasium for. And if you've, uh, you know, ever been in a public school or been on some sporting event, you know what a gymnasium is. That's more of the noun. Paul uses it in a verb. And I remember back in elementary school, I, I once called Fayed gym class. And the gym, this is not gym class, this is physical education. Well, the... The Greek proved me right here. It's a verb. They're training here for godliness. And so uh, we're familiar with this idea of gymnasiums. It's where athletic competitions happen. It's where people go to train. And our Christian lives uh, spiritually resemble uh, training. Uh, the manner that we are to train in godliness, um, godliness is the means by which we strive to grow more like Christ. The word that theologians use for growth in the Christian life is sanctification. You can say that that is the process of becoming more like Christ. And godliness are the things that we do in order to achieve that sanctification. It's the means by which sanctification happens. And we train in these things. It's a commitment to the spiritual disciplines Things like prayer and Bible study and fasting and giving and evangelism and church attendance and so on. It, it, it is also a commitment to obey Jesus. It's being humble enough to see those areas in life that, that you and I are, are, are still, you know, rough around the edges. We take that spiritual sandpaper and sort of smooth us out a little bit. It's conforming to the image of Christ and his character. Spiritual fitness, Paul tells us, is crucial. Look at verse 8. For the training of the body has limited benefit. Uh, this was probably a jab at the culture of uh, Ephesus, which had an obsession with sports and had an obsession with athletes, uh, probably just the same as, as, as we do today. And he's pretty blunt. He says, you know, it's great that you're working out. Working out is great. Having, uh, feeling good is Good. It feels good to feel good. However, one day, your body, 
is still going to wear out. Reality. Yeah, we got a witness here. Yeah. Reality tells us that whether you run a marathon, and this is where I won't get the amen yet, you can run a marathon, but there's coming a day when you will be six feet under. It's unavoidable. It's going to happen to every single one of us. But Paul goes on to say, but godliness is beneficial in every way since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. In other words, uh, uh, as you grow in godliness, Christ's power and his glory is, is, is growing in you as well. And as a result, you are able to meet the challenges of the day. It may not change what happens here and now, but Whatever happens, our growth in godliness gives us new eyes to be able to see and navigate through these challenges. Growing in godliness, it strengthens your hope to remember that this is not all that there is. This is just a training ground for the good things that are, that are coming. Growing in godliness, excuse me, <clears throat> gives you the confidence that Christ is in you and that there is nothing in your life that the gospel does not speak to. But not only that, it prepares you for the life to come. And you can train all you want. You can get your bow flex and your Nordic flex and you can go outside and you can run however many marathons. Your body will eventually die. However, your spirit is eternal. It's going to live on forever. So growing in godliness today is reaping a harvest when that day comes. To be clear, growing in godliness does not make you fit for heaven. You don't get into heaven because you're growing in godliness. Only Christ has earned your place in heaven. But rather, growing in godliness molds your soul so that you are ready for it when it comes. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a famous German pastor who was martyred by the Nazis. And as he was being ushered out to the gallows, the last recorded words that we have of Dietrich Bonhoeffer was this. This is the end. For me, it is the beginning of life. And he was taken from there and he was hanged. And it was the beginning of his life. And it's going to be the beginning for you and me when that day comes as well. He could say that only because he had trained diligently for godliness. Now, I don't know where all of you are at spiritually, but the Holy Spirit is looking at you today, and he is saying, I'm going to pump you up. That is his desire for you, and we need to hear his words, or if you want to get in, in the, the vernacular of Hans and Franz, you can, uh, hear me now and believe me later. You know, uh, the Holy Spirit is telling us to repent of our spiritual flabbiness and to hit the gym. But the beauty of it is, is that God has provided all the equipment that we need to work out. <laughs> he has given us the gospel which redeems us from the curse of sin and spiritual flabbiness. He has given us the Holy Spirit who empowers us to grow and he's given us each other just like a lifter needs a, a spotter, 
to help catch the bar before it, before it falls on our chest. We need spotters who can encourage us to push the weight stronger and harder than we ever thought that we could. We need each other. You need the church, and we need you. Let's get in shape together. And finally, and uh, the third thing we need to see here is that we need to commit to the task. We need to commit to the task. In verse 10, Paul describes why he and Timothy work towards these goals. He says, For this reason we labor and strive because we have put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. So why is Timothy in Ephesus? Why is Paul writing to him and asking him to engage in some really tough things? It's because Paul and Timothy have tasted and seen that the Lord is good in all things. They have experienced that trusting him and knowing Christ is better than life. They have felt the weight of their sin and guilt totally lifted off of them and given new life. They know the power of the resurrected Jesus and they are so convinced that they will do whatever it takes for some to know Jesus. Verse 10 is what ministry is all about. Verse 10 ought to be the mission statement for every Christian Our hope is in the living God. Folks, if we are in Christ, then we know the very one who has created everything. He isn't some made-up deity. This is a God who is living and active. And, And this is a God who is drawing people to himself right now and is changing lives. This is a God who will embrace us when we take our final breath. This God is good. This God is glorious. This we ought to commit to, that every ear would hear the gospel and that they would come to him. Now, verse 10 has created somewhat of a stir over the years because... If you read it in a certain way, you could land on universalism, which means that everyone in the world is saved regardless of what they believe. After all, doesn't it say that he is the savior of all, all people here? I don't think that's what he's saying, and here's why. When we interpret scripture, we need to interpret, uh, interpret the passage that we have before us in light of other passages of scripture. That scripture interprets scripture. So if there's a verse like this that we have in front of it, us, we have to compare it to other places to make sure that our hypothesis is correct. And if we were to look on the entire New Testament, the entire New Testament is very clear. Salvation is presented as exclusive. It is only applied to certain people. It is only applied to those who repent of their sin and trust in Christ. There's no exceptions. So how does this verse square with this? To make a a long argument short, there are two things to consider. When Paul says, 
the phrase, who is the savior of all people, he's not saying that salvation is applied to every single person. He is simply showing the extent of Christ's work. Jesus' person and his work is sufficient enough for everyone. That is, if, if every single person in the world, right now at this moment, repented and came to Christ and, and received him as Lord and Savior, well, his work would be completely sufficient for every single one of them. But as it is, we know that only some come to faith. So when Paul writes, especially of those who believe, he's referring to whom that gospel applies to. His work is sufficient for every person. And it's efficient for those that trust in him. Greek scholars have come to the conclusion that a better translation would be, to be precise, it's the people who believe. Or in other words, for those who believe. Now, with all that deep theological stuff, ought to help us lead to a heart conviction. That there are people all around us who have not believed in Christ. There are people in our families. There are people in our workplaces. There are people in our neighborhoods that don't know Jesus. And folks, I don't think it's, it's morbid to say, it's just reality that one day they're going to be gone. And if they perish apart from Christ, they will be judged for their sins and separated eternally from God. And friends, if we have been nourished by the words of the faith, and if we have followed the good doctrine, if we're working out to be spiritually swole, then how in the world can we uh, hold this in while the world around us goes to hell? How can we be quiet about it? How can we be content to come here on Sunday mornings and talk about the glories and the goodness of Christ Jesus and his love for us while our, our neighbors are perishing without knowing him? How can we be in our spiritual gymnasium and not think of all the millions of people around the world that don't even have a Bible in their language or who maybe don't, have never even heard of the name of Jesus? Friends, we need to commit ourselves to the task of knowing Christ and making him known. What do you need to do today to commit to this task? You know, when you have the, the goal of getting in shape, it can be overwhelming to, to figure out how to get there. And then the actual work of doing it takes perseverance and, and pushing through it, but in the end, feeling good is, is worth it. And friends, many of us are sitting on the spiritual couch just flipping channels. And maybe you're here today and you know it's time to get shredded, but you aren't sure how to start. I want to give you the pitch again of our Foundations for Growth class starting next week at 9 o'clock. This is where we can go ground uh, from the ground level of how do we work out our faith. Next Sunday at 9, we're going to pump you up. And maybe you're here today and you know that you're spiritually sick. You've got a lot of baggage. <laughs> and you're weighed down. And you know that if today was your last day here, 
and you're not quite sure what would happen. Stop running from Jesus and turn to him in faith. In him is forgiveness. In him alone is redemption. So let's go to him. Let's get our nutrition. Let's go to him and get pumped up. Let's go to him and find life. Let's pray. You have been listening to a message from Emmanuel Baptist Church in Mora, Minnesota. You are welcome to pass this message along to others, but please don't charge for it or alter it in any way without written permission from Emmanuel Baptist Church. This message has been made available by the generous supporters of Emmanuel Baptist Church. For additional information about how you can partner with Emmanuel, please visit us at www.emmanuelmora.com. There you will find more free messages and links to ministry opportunities to help you grow in your faith. If you are watching on YouTube, please click the subscribe button to always receive the latest messages. Thanks again for listening. Emmanuel Baptist Church, Mora, Minnesota. Knowing Christ and making Him known.